Uh, take your Bibles and go to Psalm 49. Psalm 49 is where we'll be this morning. As you turn there, I normally say often in our services that we all come in here in different ways each week. I want to give you a little insight into my day. Okay? This is extra. Free of charge. Okay? Last night we got home a little late, at least for us. It was probably 8.30. And I pull in the driveway and realize I left my truck windows down. Yeah, you know, it happens. Uh, my truck's not very special. It doesn't hurt it at all for that to happen. Might have washed it a little, actually. <clears throat> but that's frustrating to see that. Like, oh, my seats are all wet now. Uh, my wife said, hey, there's a, a towel in the van that you could use. And I said, oh, that's a good idea. Grab the towel, pat the seat off, put it on the seat nice and neat so it would be ready for the, for the morning. Uh, this morning, I, I get up. It's raining outside. I get dressed, get ready to go. Window's still down. That's genius, isn't it? So that's how I come in this morning. I rode the whole way here on one cheek, the best I could. Anyways, I'm not the smartest man, never claimed to be. But I got here, and you did too. And hopefully we're here to worship God together. That's why we gather. We gather to worship. We'll be in Psalm 49 today. Next week, we'll do a psalm as well. Uh, but then we'll be done. And so in, starting in the fall, we're going to do a, a series, just so you know where we're kind of headed and going, on worship. What is worship? Uh, and we'll look at it both privately, and, but mostly corporately, uh, asking the question, what is it we do when we come here? And why do we do what we do? Uh, and how do we do it? Just trying to look at all those different questions. So hopefully be praying for that. Uh, I trust that it, uh, it'll go well. I trust that God will be glorified in that message. That, that, and it'll lead us, whether you want to hear this or not, it leads us to Christmas. Uh, Christmas is coming pretty soon. It's getting colder. I'm sure you've noticed that. Uh, but it's happening. Well, we're in Psalm 49. And I want to look back just real quick because I think it will help. And also look, look forward in the Psalms. If you recall, as we looked at Psalm 47 together, and you can probably see in the title, if you have little titles in your Bible of the different chapters, that Psalm 47 speaks about God being king over all the earth. Psalm 48 then went and spoke about, we talked about this last week, Zion, the city of God, and that God resides with his, with his people in, in, in Zion. All right, so we looked at that last week. Now, if you, you skip today's psalm, and you go to Psalm 50. In Psalm 50, the author there speaks of God being the only judge of all the earth, that he alone can judge the earth and that he is judge. And then in Psalm 51 is maybe one of the most famous psalms of when David uh, is struggling with his sin uh, and his murder of Uriah and sin with Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. But he's struggling with this, and, and David cries out to the judge of all the earth, that he would have a, a clean heart, that he would be forgiven, that he would find mercy there. And so smacked into that, in the middle of that, God being king, being a part of God's city, God being judge, looking to God for mercy and for grace, David doing that, you have the psalm that we're looking at this morning, Psalm 49. And in Psalm 49, there is a question that is asked, that is still asked today. And the question is, why should I fear? Why should I fear? And the psalmist is kind of 
putting his heart out there because he does talk about fears that he has. But thinking about this question, why should I fear, in light of the Psalms we've read, the Psalms that come after this Psalm, which we're not gonna look at 50 and 51 together, we're gonna skip into the 80s next week. But it's an easy answer. We know the answer. Why should I fear? The answer is I shouldn't. I shouldn't fear. If God is king, if he reigns with his people, and I'm part of those people, he's judge over all the earth, and when I cry out to him for mercy, just like David, guess what? I receive it. I'm given mercy. I'm given grace. If all this is true, then why do I fear? Again, an easy answer that as Christians, if you've been Christian very long, you know that answer. I I shouldn't fear anything but God alone. Correct. Do you live that way? Is it really how you go about your life on a daily basis all the time? Just no fear. Just sure and confident in the Lord 24-7 all the time. This is what we find in Psalm 49. And so I'm gonna read it in stages and then we'll look at the verses that I read and then we'll pick back up. I wanna read the first four verses. First, it says, Hear this, all peoples. Give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth shall speak wisdom. The meditation of my heart shall be understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will solve my riddle to the music of the lyre. We have a a short introduction here from the psalmist. The psalmist starts by crying out to everybody. And notice, it is everybody. It's all places, all people, rich and poor alike need to hear this. This is what he says, the low, the high, the rich, and the poor. Everybody listen to this. And then if you notice in verses 3 and 4, what the psalmist claims here is he's going to use words of wisdom, words of understanding, words of a proverb, and he's going to solve the riddle. So it's all about wisdom. Everything in this is about, is about wisdom. It's a psalm of wisdom, and it needs to be seen as such as we, as we approach it. And it's as if the psalmist here is, is crying out to everybody here, kind of like hearkening back to old times of like, hear ye, hear ye, everybody. What I'm about to say, all of you need to hear. Listen, listen up. So hopefully we'll do that this morning, no matter again how you've come into this place no matter what type of week you've had. Let's listen to what the psalmist has to say. And so it continues on in verses five and six with a question. Why should I fear in times of trouble? When the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me, those who trust in their wealth and boast of the abundance of their riches. This is the question. Why do I fear in times of trouble? Why do I fear the rich? Why do I fear those who are unfair in this world? That's the question that the psalmist is asking and will continue to ask and answer. Now, if you ask me, there seems to be a logical answer to this question, a very logical answer to this question. Why do I fear the rich and those who have power? Because they seem to have all the power. If I'm being honest, They seem to have all the control in this world. They seem to be able to buy what they want when they need it. Do you remember the great uproar of COVID? Rich people getting haircuts when you weren't allowed? Remember how angry that got people? Well, why were they able to get a haircut and I'm not? Their influence, their power, 
I mean, it just threw people into a tizzy. We were all angry about that. Why do I fear these people? Well, it's easy. They sit in positions of power to rule over us, to make laws, to sort out all these different things in life, and I have to then seem like follow. So why do I fear them? The answer seems pretty easy. Look at them. They enjoy life. And why do they enjoy life? Because they have money. And they have the ability to enjoy life. Now, I know that you would agree with this and you would say amen to it, that money doesn't buy happiness. But does it? Really? I know you say that to sound all wise, like you're sharing a proverb with everybody and you say it with your kid. But you really don't think money buys happiness at all? Why do you buy a boat? Why do you buy golf clubs? Why do you go to concerts? Why do you buy these things? Don't you buy these things to be happy? Don't you buy these things to have joy? Right? Well, why, do you, why do you have and accumulate all these things? Because it makes you, it makes you happy. And when I ask this, when we read this question, why should I fear in times of trouble? Well, because it seems like there's so many more people who can buy those things that I can't. And they seem to have a lot of control and power over my ability to then do it. I can give you like a modern example. One of our kids having problems with their knee. And you go to the doctor. Doctor says, yep, something's wrong with their knee. Okay. What are we going to do? Well, we're going to try something out. What are we going to try out? They're going to go to physical therapy. Well, wait a second. Isn't there a machine that could look and tell me what's wrong with their knee? Yes, it is. But you can't do that. Well, why? Because you got to play the game, they said. Insurance tells us you've got to go to physical therapy first. Well, wait, 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 wait. I'm willing to pay. Nope. Out of my control. Out of my power. And what happens? You get frustrated. Don't you? You get kind of ticked off and all of a sudden I'm not happy anymore because there's a solution to help my child to see if there's a problem and it will save a lot of time and in fact, it'll save money. Just give me this answer. Let me do this. And the people in power say no. Frustrating. And so when the author here asks this question, why do I fear in times of trouble? It's because there's legitimate fear out there, isn't there? It seems to be so legitimate. And so to ask this question kind of seems to be a slap in the face. But this is a question that we see the psalmist will answer. And again, all of us know the answer here. You know the answer to what I'm saying. Ah, Pastor Tim, we don't trust in that stuff. I know. And we're gonna get to that point. But do we trust in that stuff? Deep down seated in here, do we really trust in these things? Do we really think that happiness doesn't come with money? You see, this is why, this is one of the reasons it's so important for us to gather regularly. Because everything I just said about questioning, does money buy happiness, makes complete logical sense for me to fight that and say, money does buy happiness. It does. It's easy to convince people of that. There is a little bit of truth in that, but there are truths in the word of God that we need to be reminded of. And this is why we need to come to the Psalms so often because they shed such great wisdom into our life. 
to ask questions like this that you might think you're past, but you're not, and I'm not. Why do we fear the rich? Why should I fear in times of trouble when the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me? Those who trust in their wealth and boast of the abundance of their riches. We need these reminders, don't we? Well, the psalmist goes on to answer these questions. Look at verse seven and nine. He's saying there's an error in the wisdom of this world. He says, truly, no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice that he should live on forever and never see the pit. Oh, this is an interesting turn of events. He asked a question about the rich being unfair, those in power being unfair. But he starts to answer the question, doesn't he, the psalmist? And in verses seven through nine, he says, the simple fact that a soul cannot be bought. And so in verses seven through nine, what the writer does is shows us the depths of man's depravity and sin. It shows how far we really are from God. And he, he declares here that absolutely no amount of money, no amount of time can pay the price for a person's soul. I cannot pay for my own soul. And the fact of the matter is I can't pay for yours either. I can't pay for my kids. You can't pay for your grandkids. Nobody can pay the cost for a soul. The ransom price is just simply way too great. And scripture speaks of this in other places as well. In Job chapter 36, verses 18 and 19, it says, beware lest wrath entice you into scoffing and let not the greatness, greatness of the ransom turn you aside. Will your cry for help avail to keep you from distress or all the force of your strength? Even this here, the ransom is just so high. The price, or Romans 6, 23, the first part of it, for the wages of sin is death. This is the cost of a soul. Sin equals death. Who can pay this price? As you get down to verses 10, uh, through 12, let's read them together. We see here that death is not a respecter of persons. It says, for he sees that even when the wise die, the fool and the stupid alike must perish and their wealth to others and leave their wealth to others. Their graves are their homes forever. Their dwelling places to all generations, though they called lands by their own names, man in his pomp will not remain. Notice this, what a striking thing here. He's like the beasts that perish. The psalmist here says that since the ransom price is so high and cannot be paid, here's just the simple fact of life. Everybody dies. Everybody. The wise, the foolish, the rich, and the poor. When I was reading this for the first time, I was thinking of the Egyptian tombs. Their graves are their homes forever. And what did these people do? They wanted to make their forever home special. They put all kinds of riches in there because they thought they would bring it with them to the afterlife, didn't they? And now what happens? It just gets stolen. <laughs> it gets looted. Or some smart doctor goes and digs in the ground and finds it, puts it in a museum for you to look at. They didn't get to take it with them. They died. Even though these men had the most money you could ever imagine, 
They had the world in their grasp. They had power and control over all things. The fact of the matter is, no matter how big of a mausoleum they build for themselves, they've died. And they're dead. And they are no more. And the psalmist says this in a way that really hurts. Just like one of those beasts in the field that die. Now I know there's many people in here, you you guys are animal lovers and that's great. I like them in a way too. The fact is, right now, there's many animals dying that you don't know and you don't care about. We drive by them on our road and what what we actually care more about is that they stink and it angers us that they're not gone. Just another skunk dead, right? Just another bird hit by the car. Just another animal dead. And listen, I know I'm trying, I'm trying to be shocking. This is what the psalmist says about us. Another person dead. Just like the beasts of the field, we perish, we die. How humbling. And notice what it says. Man in his pomp will not remain. <laughs> How arrogant we can be to think that we will go on forever and ever and ever. Again, we know better than this. You know the answer to this. But I guarantee most of you in here are not thinking, tomorrow I'll die. Tomorrow might be the day. No, you have other plans tomorrow. You got plans this weekend. You can't die tomorrow. There's big things to do. And so in our pomp and in our glory, we just think we're going to keep going on and on and on. And the author here wants us to realize, no. No, you just like the wild animal will come to an end. Death is a part of life and it's just something we cannot escape. The ransom is way too high. It's something I cannot purchase. It's something I cannot buy. Simply cannot happen. Now again, this is common sense. I'm not telling you anything new but notice, I want, I, okay, we're getting ready to read verses 13 and 14. And I don't know if this is a bad word in your home, but I think I read it already. I want you to notice the stupidity here, okay? Verses 13 and 14, there's no definition of stupidity greater than this. Watch, watch what it says in verses 13 and 14. This is the path of those who have foolish confidence. Yet, after them, people approve their boasts. Like sheep, they are appointed for Sheol. Death shall be their shepherd, and the upright shall rule over them in the morning. Their form shall be consumed in Sheol with no place to dwell. Now notice what it says here. Even in this verse, right, we truly see the sad state of this world. Even though we know, we know this truth. I've seen bumper stickers, maybe even you have it, that those who die with the most toys, what, still die. We say that, yet what do we do? we do our best to have the most toys. We absolutely strive in this life to have the most toys we possibly can. And what is is the psalmist saying we do? We sadly follow those before us who we're scared of, who we fear, who have such control over us. What do we do? We follow them right off the cliff into the pit of Sheol, right into death. This is, the, this is the picture the author paints here. Imagine, if you would, with me. You just watching a sheep walk and fall off a cliff and die. Imagine seeing that. 
That'd be sad. And then another one. And then another one. And then another one. This is the picture. Person after person. Trusting in their wealth, trusting in their riches. Death. Trusting in their wealth, trusting in their riches. Death in us standing in line. Me next. I want what they have. They have a huge camper. The snow's about to fall. They have snowmobiles. They have a cabin up north. They have a place down in Florida that they get to go to for five or six months. I want what they have. Let me follow them in trusting and boasting in their wealth and in their toys and in their riches. Let me get in line. This has to be a fun ride. The ride leads to death. (laughs) It leads to destruction. And we know this answer. Maybe this is why I get so frustrated with this sermon, even in studying. It's like, Tim, you are so idiotic. You know the answers to these questions. Why would you follow them right off into the cliff? Now, it needs to be noted of this, and it says this in the Expositor's Bible Commentary on this psalm, on Psalm 49. It said, please note, the Bible's not against the rich here. And that's not what this message is about. But what the Bible is against is self-sufficiency and self-confidence. That's what we're talking about here. Those who trust in their riches, those who trust in their fame, those who trust in their prosperity or in the security that they can make for themselves in this life. That's what all that stuff is about. Those who trust that these are the things that bring joy and satisfaction. That's what the psalmist is talking about here. And here we have such a grim picture of death. But not just that. We have a grim picture of being consumed with no place to dwell at the end of it. In verse 17, or verse 14, there at the end it says, their form shall be consumed in Sheol, notice, with no place to dwell. At one time they had mansions. At one time they had their mortgage paid off. They had a second home. But now because they trusted in these things, they have no place to dwell at all. Their life is eternally punished forever with no hope. This is very reminiscent of Ephesians chapter two, verses one through three. You remember Paul in Ephesians one talked about all these great things and then he hits us in Ephesians two, the first three verses and he says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You remember that grim picture there that is painted for us, and it's very similar here. Sin reigning, sin ruling, and leading us right into hell. Do you remember that? Look at verse 15. Just like Ephesians chapter two, verse four. Two of the most beautiful words we see in all of scripture. But God. Psalmist just painted such a horrible picture of the fate of this world. But what does he say about the children of God? He says, but God will ransom my soul 
from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. But it's a ransom that can't be paid, remember? It's a ransom that's too great, and that's what the psalmist is pointing to. It's a ransom that I can't pay for, it's a ransom that you can't pay for. But the psalmist is pointing us to the fact God will pay the ransom for us. Remember Ephesians 2, 4, and 5? But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. Isn't it amazing how the Old Testament and New Testament seem to work? But God, the psalmist here speaks of a resurrection taking place in his life. He doesn't say he doesn't die. Oh no, I'll die, but I'll be ransomed and lifted up. Right? He will receive me. He will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol. and He will, re- he will receive me. A resurrection is taking place here in his life. Why? Because God has seen him and God has received him. God has loved him. God has poured his grace out on him. And the question then comes, And it might be for some of you this morning, and I hope you hear this, and I hope this question is in your head. How can I receive this ransom from God? If I can't do it on my own, if my mom can't do it for me, if my grandma cannot do it for me, then how in the world can I receive this ransom so that my life can be pulled from Sheol, so that I can be saved? Well, Titus chapter 2. Verse 11 through 14 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. You asked the question this morning, how do I find this redemption? How can my soul be ransomed? I can't do it on my own. It's God who does it. Titus tells us the answer. Only through the one who's paid the ransom for you can you be redeemed. And the only person who could ever pay the ransom for you, his name is Jesus. He paid it for you. God, on this earth, wraps himself in flesh, fully God and fully man, lives a perfect life. And listen, does what you cannot do. You cannot ransom yourself. Only God can do it. That's why Jesus had to be God. But secondly, man had to pay for man's sin. And that's why Jesus was also fully man so he could pay the price for you, so that we could be ransomed, so that we can be redeemed. You remember the scene in Revelation chapter five, verse one through five? Been going here a lot. It was a sad scene at the beginning of Revelation five. He says, then I saw the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. 
I'll pause there. You can say this a different way. Who can redeem me? Who can save my life? You tell me I can't do it. You tell me nobody else can do it. Well, then is there any hope at all? That's the scene here. There's no hope. The scroll can't be opened. The seal cannot be broken. What are we going to do? And so John says, I wept loudly because there's no hope here. He says, and one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Listen, I hope some of you are in the state right now to where you're crying out like I just said. What hope is there in this world? What hope do I have? I tell you, there's no hope in this world. But there is one who has given hope and his name is Jesus. You must trust in him. You must rely on him for your salvation. That trust that his life paid the price for you. This is the hope of the gospel that we see even here in this psalm. And the psalmist then goes on in verses 16 through 20 because he knows how we are. Because again, I told you at the beginning of this sermon, most of you know these answers. I see some of you have faded away anyways. I see your face. It's not on me anymore. You're looking at the lights. You're like, I know this stuff. We need this reminder. And so he goes on, verses 16 to 20. Be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. For though while he lives, he counts himself blessed, and though you get praise when you do well for yourself, his soul will go to the generation of his fathers, who will never again see light. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beasts that perish. Look at that reminder. Look at that little bit of change of wording. In verse 12, he said, man in his pomp will not remain. He is like beasts that perish. But there's a change in verse 20, isn't there? All of a sudden, there's a word added. Man in his pomp, yet without what? Understanding, will perish. The world is gonna to continue to march in the direction of self-confidence. The world's gonna to continue to march into self-reliance. The word self is so important in our day and age, is it not? It's all about what you think of yourself, who you are in yourself. You can determine who self is. And so we know this, and we're gonna forever see this, people gaining more and more wealth, more and more prestige in this world, by wrong gains. It's not going to end. But the psalmist kind of is encouraging us as a church at the end and saying, listen, do not fall for this trap. In the end, we all die. Those who put their faith and hope in the things of this world will go down just like their forefathers before them. Oh, they might have a statue with their face on it and their name on it, but one day that statue will be took down. They will not be remembered anymore. It'll go away. And they will never see light again. They will die just like the beasts of the field. But he's encouraging us as those who've been saved by God's grace, reminding us of what matters most. Don't follow the kings of this world. 
as, as Psalm 47 said, church, follow God who is your king over all. Whereas 48 says, live as Zion, as the church, as the body of Christ who's been saved by God's grace and put your trust and your hope in him and in that place, not in this place, in that place. And remember, we serve the God who is judge over all men, as Psalm 50 will say. And yet that judge has redeemed us. Our judge has saved us. Listen, the judges of this world are going to shun you. They're going to cancel you. They're going to hate your ways as you follow the king of the universe. It's going to happen, but don't shy away from it. Don't get tricked into their trap of thinking that life is better following their plan. Life is better trusting in yourself, in your own success, because the author here tells us where that leads. Do you remember? Psh, the end of the cliff. To a place where there is no more home to dwell. Where there's everlasting punishment and destruction. Church, we must remember that we have a savior today who has redeemed us. We have a savior today who has made us worthy to truly be called the people of God. And listen, that's an astonishing thing. The story I told you at the very beginning of me and my ignorance, not even thinking to roll my windows up. I did everything else right and didn't roll the windows up. I didn't solve the problem. Who would want me to be on their team? You know, who would want me to be part of their kingdom? Amazingly, God, my ignorance and my sin and in my shame, God the Father would send his son Jesus to die in my place so that I could say, you are my king and you have ransomed me and what I couldn't do, you've done it for me. And there's many of you here this morning who you can say the same thing. God has ransomed me by the blood of Christ and I am his forevermore. But I have no doubt there are some of you this morning, you can't say that and you know it. You're trusting in the wisdom of this world. You're trusting in what they're peddling out there on TV or in the newspapers and all these other things. That life is about the freedom in this place. It's about vacations, it's about retirement, it's about 401ks, it's about security. You're believing that, you're trusting that. But you know that as you live in it, there's no true joy in that. There's no true hope because you cannot ransom your soul. You know it. Would you, by faith this morning, finally let go of all that wisdom in this world and honestly put your faith in Jesus? The only one who's worthy, put your faith in to say he's my savior. He's the one who's redeemed me. I hope you'll do that this morning if you haven't. For those of us Christians, have you strayed though? I know I do. Where you're trusting in the materialness of this world, you're trusting in the pomp and the pageantry that this world says we must do. You keep wanting to get back in line. Right, you keep wanting to follow that. 
Maybe today you need to repent. Maybe today you need to go to your father, not for salvation, but for forgiveness, right? Say, God, forgive me of this and know that he will because he's a good father to us. Let's bow together this morning. I wanna give you an opportunity to respond to the word of God like we do each week. It can be different for each person. I don't know what that is, but we're also gonna sing a song to close. But I trust that the spirit will work in your life through your word. I'm thankful for verse 15. It reminds us, but God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. God, I thank you that you've received me, not because of my pomp, not because of my possessions, not because of my intelligence, not because of my upbringing even, but you've received me because of the blood of Christ. And God, I thank you that I know you've done that for others in this room this morning and you've caused us to be the body of Christ, the family of God. Let us be in your kingdom. You're our king. And so God, I pray that you would help us to see areas of our life where we're maybe pushing against the goads, where the world is starting to entice us again. And again, God, I don't mean to shame anybody this morning for having things or having money. But God, forgive us of having this self-reliance when it comes to our soul. Forgive us of trying to find joy and hope in the materialness of this world. Thank you for this psalm that reminds us of who we are, sinners, but points us to what you have done for us sinners, and that is save us by your grace through the blood of your son. So God, this morning, work in our lives as Christians, but I also pray this morning for those here who have not trusted in Jesus. God, I pray that they would this morning. There's nothing magical about it. Just trusting in you, saying, I believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins. And God, I know your word tells us if they do that, that you save them forever. And so God, be with us now through the rest of this service as we respond to your word. Be with us as we sing this last song. Help us to, to worship you well, we ask in Jesus' name.